I'll stand. John chapter 15. This goes from verses 12 through 17. The word of God, John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Let me pray. Blessed Father, thank you again for this incredibly gracious gift of this book of John's Gospel to the church. Thank you for how it deepens our awareness of you, profoundly deepens our love for you, Jesus, as we see your heartbeat. Oh, Master, speak to us today. We come off a wonderful month of some solid preaching and ministry, and we are humbled and we are thankful. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this has been a good, good month. A very blessed month. Pastor Jeff bringing some... <laughs> Incredible imperatives of the gospel from Ephesians chapter 4. Beautiful scripture, powerfully preached. Larry opening up John 19, showing us the wonder, he didn't use this word, but of the hypostatic union. The wonder of what theologians have called that, but God in the flesh, the man Jesus, fully God, fully man. Mm. And wasn't Bebo a blessing? Amen? He was to me personally. Uh, tremendously uh, wise, encouraging, very hopeful. We have many exciting things coming on the horizon, not the least of which is continued prayer that God lead his choice of a senior pastor here and lead us to that senior pastor. Amen? All right. John 15, this I command you, that you love one another. One of the most profound comments made regarding the early church came from the lips of a man named Aristides, whom the Roman emperor Hadrian, this is the second century, about year 150, to spy out those strange creatures known as Christians. And having seen them in action, Aristides returned with a mixed report. 
But his immortal words to the emperor have echoed down through history. He said, Behold how they love one another. Behold how they love one another. Indeed, Christ Jesus had said in John 13, verse 34, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Say it with me. If ye have love for one another. So this glorious Lord's Day, day of divine worship, let us first seek explanation that we might ponder the meaning of what Christ has said here in John 15. Ponder the doctrine that Jesus here reveals. And then make application that is both vertical and horizontal. Vertical in our love relationship with God our Father, Christ our beloved Savior, and the wondrously beautifying Holy Spirit. And horizontal in our homes and our church. Explanation. Consider the context of John's words here, because as I approach the scripture, you cannot just yank John 15, 12 out of the passage. You've got to see how he's been developing his thought. In chapter 13, verse 1, we're told that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and then the foot washing occurs. And the dialogue at table. And do you know what I have done to you? And, and then chapter 13, verse 34 and 5, he says a new command. And this after dismissing Judas. This is after he has cleansed the apostolic ban. He says, do you, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's not a certificate of transfer that identifies you as a member of Christ's church. It's the presence of love within your heart for those who are around you, starting in the home, husband and wife, husband and wife to children within the church. It's love demonstrated that demonstrates we are his disciples. Well, chapter 14, he then starts off saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And comes to verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he intensifies it. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Don't ask for a show of hands, but if you've seen the uh, Christmas Carol, George C. Scott, it says of George C. Scott that no one kept Christmas better than he did. That's the concept. Knowing the commands and keeping the commands are two very different things. 
Well, chapter 14, 21. So he who has my commandments and is keeping them, he it is who is loving me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal, disclose myself to that child of God, be it man, woman, boy, or girl. Chapter 14, verse 31, he says, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. <laughs> Beloved believer, whether man, woman, boy, or girl, can you say this? Can we say that as the Father has given me commandments, even so I do? What commandment have I camped on this past week? Where am I seeking to demonstrate to the Father that I desire to keep his commandments? It is possible to be a churchgoer and a tender, a member, and never in this book, never examining in and out what the Master would say to me that I might say, I will keep this today. Give me grace to keep this today. Well, we then come to chapter 15, and he introduces this grand metaphor, this illustration of what he's been talking about by the relationship between a vine and the branches on the vine. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me. Now, it will help you if you have your Bible open and you're actually looking at the verses as I walk through. Verse 4, Abide in me. Verse 5, he says it positively. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Verse 6, he says it negatively. If you don't abide in me, you will be thrown away as a branch and will dry up. Verse 7, back to the positive, but this time he expands it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will know how to pray, believing that what you ask, it shall be done for you. Verse 8, my father is glorified by much fruit. And so we come to the first catechism's question, what is the chief end of man? Together, let us say, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Bearing much fruit glorifies the father. Verse 9, he says, I have loved you, as the Father has loved me, abide in my love. Verse 10, but to abide in my love, there it is again, is to keep my commandments. Just as I abide in my Father's love, and you can see that by my keeping my Father's commandments. It's as, as if the master says, let, let me explain. 
To abide in my love is to keep my commandments just as I abide in my Father's love, which you can see by my keeping my Father's commandments. This is how it's done. Follow, walk in my footsteps. And verse 11, And all of this I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And that's where we ended in June. So to be a child of God is to have the joy that is Christ because of his blessed, beloved relationship with his loving Heavenly Father. Have that joy in me. The joy that Jesus, the Son of God, has in relationship with God the Father in you, in me. Pastoral reflection. <laughs> Am I experiencing this? I know because I've talked with some of you. And if you think I'm talking about you, there are probably 10 or 12 of you that I've talked to. <laughs> Some of us are not experiencing this joy. But one wiser than me said, to live on Christ's love is a king's life. <laughs> to live on Christ's love is a king's life. Blessed are we if we make ourselves masters of that eternal, invaluable treasure, the love of Christ, allowing ourselves to be mastered, yes, subdued to Christ's love, so that Christ becomes everything to us and all other things are nothings. Say it in Paul's language. Whatever things were, were gained to me, those things I count as loss for Christ's sake. Indeed, I count all things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, his love, his Father's love, his joy forever. To live with my mind, though fixed on this miserable life and this miserable world, is to have neither joy nor peace, but to keep my mind stayed on him is all my joy and all my peace. You're just blowing smoke, Jim. Am I? I speak as one diagnosed with the Lou Gehrig's nine months ago. And I tell you, Christ increasingly is my joy, my peace, my hope, my all. Now, dear friend, love to the Lord. With what will you distract yourself this week? How will you distract yourself this week from the, the pain of the world, the pain of life, the, the hardships, the blows? Christ in his word or the vanity fair of this world? 
Vanity Fair of this world looks great, but it's like gravel in the mouth afterwards. And it does not satisfy. Go where you will, your soul shall not sleep sound, but in Christ's bosom. Let him make anything out of me, that he be glorified in my salvation, for I know I am made for him. Can you say that? To the degree that you can, you can have joy no matter what you walk through. Dearly beloved by the Father, you're here. <laughs> that says a lot. Makes me very hopeful. Dearly beloved by the Father, he is more valuable to you in this life and all eternity than anything else you see. Treasure him. Love him. Cherish him. Trust him. Well, here in chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, did you observe, did you see the two bookends? Verse 12 and 17 are bookends. They say the same thing. He starts off this, what I'm going to get at, he comes back to it in the conclusion, 17. He says, the Father has given me commandments, and even so I do. Now I'm giving you a commandment, and even so you do. But even more, I've loved you and am loving you, and are you responding to me? Are you responding to me? My dear friend, if you're not picking this book up daily and seeking his face, Asking, Master, speak to me through the pages that I read. Then you are turning your back upon Jesus. And you ain't going to have much peace. And you're not going to have joy. And it's going to be miserable. As I've said before, I think the child of God can be absolutely miserable in life right up to death and then be surprised by joy. But why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> why would you go through life miserable when you could have had heaven here too? Mm. Well, Calvin says, above all things, believers should cherish Mutual love among themselves. True, the love and reverence for God comes first in order, for as the true proof of it, but the true proof of it is love toward our neighbors. Christ dwells chiefly on this point, especially in First John. I believe, yes, Larry read that. If you can't love the neighbor whom you see, don't even pretend that you're loving God whom you can't see. So if you've got bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody, you're not in a good relationship with your Father in heaven at all. You can't be, Jesus says. Verse 13, John 15, 13. Self-sacrifice is the greatest of love. 
And if I would lay down my life for my wife, then I would lay anything else down for her that would bless her, meeting her needs. Doesn't that make sense? If I would put myself in harm's way, even upon pain of death, for her, why would I not give what she needs in small things of life out of love? Selflessness is the watchword for the child of God. Selfishness is the watchword for a man or woman of the world. Mark Selfishness, you're of the world. Or you're a child of God behaving like somebody from the world. Selflessness is how Christ lived. But if my heart is not softened by the boundless sweetness of divine love, my heart must be harder than stone or iron. Dear brother, sister, self-sacrifice of your life in death or of your life day by day in details and decisions demonstrates the greatest of love. Oh, Jesus, make us like you. Take our self-centered hearts and replace them with your heart of boundless love. Verse 14. I didn't really taste this until following November 2020. Blessed be God for his rod because he has taken me more in love with him than I never knew before. And I know now what I would share with you, that you don't have to be in misery. You don't have to have no joy. You can pursue him and love him and read the Psalms and weep through the Psalms and and pray through the Psalms and, and ponder the love relationship between the Father and the Son and know that through the Son we are brought into that relationship. Wow! Verse 14. Verse 14, the friends of Jesus are those who habitually obey him. And so the question <laughs> legitimately comes, did I look like a friend of Jesus to him this week? How would he assess me? Friends of Jesus are those who habitually obey him. Am I at every known point where conscience is pricked, am I seeking to obey him? See, that's one of the primary purposes of preaching, is for the Holy Spirit through the preached word to prick individuals anonymously so that it's not brought out in front of everybody. 
and its opportunity to humble yourself and repent before God and grow and be ministered to him by him through the Spirit, through the preached word. But some, incredibly, in the face of divine grace, withhold their obedience, preferring to cling to what they want. I will have what I want. So be it. Indeed, what they demand. And so, joy and peace are lost. And, and, but here, I come back to this. I think it's very possible for a child of God to lose their joy and peace in this life and wake up after death surprised by joy. But what happened to the relationships that you damaged upon earth because of how you lived? Are you thinking of that? My dear brother, sister, I believe better things of you than that. For you know the grace of God our Savior has appeared bringing salvation, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Verse 15, look at it. It's a little bit longer than the rest. Calvin is rich here. And he frames the words of Jesus in this way. I have condescended far more to you than a mortal man is inclined to condescend to his servants. Let this be regarded by you, therefore, as my pledge of my love towards you, that I have in a kind and friendly manner explain to you the secrets of heavenly wisdom which I heard from my Father. <laughs> Eternal praise and blessing to our God that through Christ we have been given access, intimacy of access into the eternal Father-Son relationship now being applied to us for the sake of his glory and our eternal blessing and joy by the Holy Spirit. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Verse 16 is all about sovereign grace. You did not choose me, I chose you. See how Christ yet more clearly says we must not think this is by our merit or our initiation. It is utterly by his grace that we have arrived at so great an honor as to be called a child of God. Calvin says, men commonly imagine some kind of Concurrence, like when the Mississippian and Missouri come together. Some kind of concurrence taking place between the grace of God and the will of man. But Christ's words, I chose you, I was not chosen by you, 
claims exclusively for Christ alone what is usually divided between Christ and man. Christ is saying that a man is not moved of his own accord or his own will to seek Christ until he has been sought by him. So much so that I am well convinced, and I've said this to no small number of you, if you're praying over a concern, it's only because Jesus has already been praying that for you, and the Spirit is now prompting in you what the Master has already been praying. Now that ought to touch you. You feel alone. You're not alone. He's pray- Peter, I have prayed for you. So where then is boasting? Where then is pride? Where then is the Pharisee in the church of chosen redeemed sinners? You know, the Pharisee spends his or her time looking at others, talking about others, angry at others. The the publican doesn't even see the others. He or she sees only his or her sin and comes to God pleading for mercy. Justified is the position of the publican. Perilous, the position of the Pharisee. May God protect us. And if there be the Pharisee heart here, may God give that heart the heart of a publican. Well, verse 16, Calvin again, but I extend the statement as meaning the church will last to the very end of the world for For the labor of the apostles yields fruit even in this present day, Calvin's day, our day. For the apostolic preaching, both oral and written, was not for a single age, but enlarges the church so that new fruit is seen to spring up until the last day. And so... It is to be expected that so high an office, so high a God-given purpose, that there will be innumerable attacks of Satan, which can never be warded off but by the power of God. And so, that the apostles may not be discouraged, Christ meets them saying, If the work assigned to you be so great that you are unable to fulfill it on your own power, my Father will not forsake you. My Father will stretch out his hand to assist you whenever you pray to him in my name. And then this, which hit me, Calvin. And indeed, that the greater part of teachers either languish through indolence or utterly give way through despair arises from nothing else than that they are sluggish in the duty of prayer. We were gloriously blessed by the week of prayer and fasting culminating in the solemn assembly. We shall do this again. It behooves God's people to assemble themselves to beseech the throne of grace. And so Christ wraps up his thought, verse 17, and restates what he said in 12. This I command you, 
that you love one another. Hmm. Doctrine's not too hard here. First, recognize and heed Christ's command to love. Verse 12, verse 17. In between, he gives the reason, the rationale, the, the entailments, the implications of it. It's, it's unmistakable. If you name the name of Jesus as your God and Savior, you are duty-bound to look, walk, talk, and behave like Jesus, loving others selflessly without bitterness, anger, or self-centeredness because it cannot be all about you. It is not all about me. It is about him and others. Self-centeredness is of another father, not the heavenly father. Second point of doctrine. Consider how love is centrally foundational to the triune God and therefore to the gospel and the church. Matthew 22, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, the greatest is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second, like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. 1 Corinthians 13. Can you say it with me? But now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 1 John 4, 7, God is love. And listen to 17, John 17, verses 23 through 26, with emphasis at key parts. John 17, 23. Thou didst send me, and thou didst love them, as thou didst love me. For thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. And I have made thy name known to them and will make it known. I will disclose it, he said, that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them and I in them that the love with which the Father loves the eternal Son may be in the heart of each of his children. Are you tasting that? He wants you to. But you've got to pursue him. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, Listen to this, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's the Father's assessment 
of the Son. This is my beloved Son. Again, transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And if Augustine is right, it is the Holy Spirit who is the expression in divine personhood of the love which from eternity past has been from the Father to the Son and from the Son to the Father. Love is intrinsic, eternally intrinsic to the Godhead, for God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the command to love one another is laden with eternal weightiness. But what is more, we are chosen by, we who are chosen by God are being brought into this eternal love relationship between Father and Son because we are in his beloved, in Christ. Samuel Rutherford says, Alas, that we should love by careful measurement and weight, and not rather have floods and feasts of Christ's love. Oh, that Christ would break down the old narrow vessels of our narrow and ebb shallow souls and make fair, deep, wide, broad souls that can hold a sea and a full tide flowing over all banks of Christ's love. This is my prayer for you. Application. Back to Ephesians 4. A few verses before what Pastor Jeff brought out. Ephesians 4.1 Walk worthy of your calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Does this mark you? Does this mark your attitudes? Is this how you speak to your husband? Is this how you speak to your wife? Is this how you speak to your children? Is this how you speak to your father or mother? Loving, patient, forbearance, he goes on to say, Colossians 3, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. Why is that command given? Because some of us have more bearing needed by others, Right? My wife has borne with me far more than I've ever borne with her. Man, guard your ribs. But it's true. It's true. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, get angry. Suck on it like your thumb. Talk to other. No. 
Whoever has a complaint against anyone, as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Do I view others with eyes of compassion? Am I thought of as a kind person? Nothing of harshness or austerity. Are my words humble, gentle, patient when wronged or facing difficulty? You see, genuine love from the Father in the Son tends to make the child of God an incredibly kind, mellow, loving person. Is this me? Well, in the home, one quick, narrow application, Ephesians 5, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Am I self-sacrificing in my relationship to my wife? Do I put her interests, her concerns, her worries, her needs ahead of my own? In a difficult decision, do I yield to what is best for her? Are my words, my attitudes, my tone of voice what she would call loving? Woe to the man who thinks he can run roughshod over his wife and still have his prayers answered. 1 Peter 3, 7. Well, men and boys, too. God the Father carefully watches how we treat his daughters, our wives, our mothers, our sisters. Brothers should be kind to their sisters, never harsh, certainly never violent. Husbands should be kind to their wives, to their daughters, if the heart of love is selflessness, then the Christian home should resonate with selfless acts of kindness, tenderness, affection, joy, encouragement to each other. And first the father, but then the mother should model this tender affection and love to each other and thus to each of the children. If there were 10,000 millions of worlds and as many heavens full of men and angels, Christ would not be hard put to supply all our wants and to fill us all. Christ is a well of life, but who knows how deep it is to the bottom. Words that have blessed me Ye have only these two shallow brooks, sickness and death, to pass through. And ye have also a promise that Christ shall do more than meet you, even that he shall come himself and go with you, foot for foot, yea, and bear you in his arms. 
Oh, then, for the joy set before you, for the love of the man who is God over all, blessed forever, who is standing on the shore to welcome you. Run your race with patience. Larry, very kindly, my printer was kaput, and I asked for help, and he printed it for me, but he uh, put smiley faces, and as we got closer to the end, it was a face of doing this. <laughs> no, not really, but he threatened he would. <laughs> but this is the final passage. Listen to it. Revelation 22. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Let us pray. Father, we come to you needing, so badly needing you. Jesus, we need the, to taste the love that is between you and the Father because we are in you. And to be reassured through that that it does not matter what we walk through. We will believe you, Christ, better than our rods. For we know that you love us. We know you love us. Help us to seek your face in Scripture. Help us to be a people that aggressively and eagerly with joy love one another, starting in marriages, starting in parenting, flowing through the children to each other, to the parents within the church. Let it be said of us, behold how they love one another. In Christ's name, amen.